Chapter four, section five of A Practical View of the Prevailing Religious System by William Wilberforce. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Lillis. Chapter four, section five. Some other grand defects in the practical system of the bulk of nominal Christians. In the imperfect sketch which has been drawn of the religion of the bulk of nominal Christians, their fundamental error respecting the essential nature of Christianity has been discussed and traced into some of its many mischievous consequences. Several of their particular misconceptions and allowed defects have also been pointed out and illustrated. It may not be improper to close the survey by noticing some others for the existence of which we may now appeal to almost every part of the preceding delineation. In the first place, then, there appears throughout, both in the principles and allowed conduct of the bulk of nominal Christians, a most inadequate idea of the guilt and evil of sin. We everywhere find reason to remark that, as was formerly observed, religion is suffered to dwindle away into a mere matter of police. Hence the guilt of actions is estimated not by the proportion in which, according to Scripture, they are offensive to God, but by that in which they are injurious to society. Murder, theft, fraud in all its shapes, and some species of lying, are manifestly and in an eminent degree injurious to social happiness. How different, accordingly, in the moral scale is the place they hold from that which is assigned to idolatry, to general irreligion, to swearing, drinking, fornication, lasciviousness, sensuality, excessive dissipation, and in particular circumstances to pride, wrath, malice, and revenge. Indeed, several of the above-mentioned vices are held to be grossly criminal in the lower ranks because manifestly ruinous to their temporal interests, but in the higher they are represented as, quote, losing half their evil by losing all their grossness, end quote as flowing naturally from great prosperity, from the excess of gaiety and good humor. And they are accordingly, quote, regarded with but a small degree of disapprobation and censured very slightly or not at all, end quote. Footnote. See Smith on The Wealth of Nations, Volume 3. End footnote. Quote, non meus hic sermo est, end quote. These are the remarks of authors who have surveyed the stage of human life with more than ordinary observation, one of whom in particular cannot be suspected of having been misled by religious prejudices to form a judgment of the superior orders too unfavorable and severe will these positions however be denied will it be maintained that there is not the difference already stated in the moral estimation of these different classes of vices will it be said that the one class is indeed more generally restrained and more severely punished by human laws because more properly cognizable by human judicatures and more directly at war with the well-being of society but that when brought before the tribunal of internal opinion they are condemned with equal rigor? Facts may be denied and charges laughed out of countenance, but where the general sentiment and feeling of mankind are in question, our common language is often the clearest and most impartial witness, and the conclusions thus furnished are not to be parried by wit or eluded by sophistry. In the present case, our ordinary modes of speech furnish sufficient matter for the determination of the argument, and abundantly prove our disposition to consider as matters of small account such sins as are not held to be injurious to the community. We invent for them diminutive and qualifying terms, which, if not, as in the common uses of language, to be admitted as signs of approbation and goodwill, must at least be confessed to be proofs of our tendency to regard them with palliation and indulgence. Footnote. See the grammarians and dialecticians on the diminutives of the Italian and other languages. End footnote. Free-thinking gallantry, jollity, and a thousand similar phrases might be adduced as instances. Footnote. 
many more might be added such as a good fellow a good companion a libertine a little free a little loose in talk wild gay jovial being no man's enemy but his own etc 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 above all having a good heart End footnote. but it is worthy of remark that no such soft and qualifying terms are in use for expressing the smaller degrees of theft or fraud or forgery or any other of those offences which are committed by men against their fellow-creatures and in the suppression of which we are interested by our regard to our temporal concerns the charge which we are urging is indeed undeniable in the case of any question of honour or of moral honesty we are sagacious in discerning and inexorable in judging the offence no allowance is made for the suddenness of surprise or the strength of temptations one single failure is presumed to imply the absence of the moral or honourable principle the memory is retentive on these occasions and the man's character is blasted for life here even the mere suspicion of having once offended can scarcely be got over Quote, there is an awkward story about that man which must be explained before he and i can become acquainted End quote. but in the case of sins against god there is no such watchful jealousy none of this rigorous logic a man may go on in the frequent commission of known sins yet no such inference is drawn respecting the absence of the religious principle on the contrary we say of him that quote, though his conduct be a little incorrect his principles are untouched End quote. that he has a good heart and such a man may go quietly through life with the titles of a mighty worthy creature and a very good christian but in the word of god actions are estimated by a far less accommodating standard there we read of no little sins much of our saviour's sermon on the mount which many of the class we are condemning affect highly to admire is expressly pointed against so dangerous a misconception there no such distinction is made between the rich and the poor no notices are to be traced of one scale of morals for the higher and of another for the lower classes of society nay the former are expressly guarded against any such vain imagination and are distinctly warned that their condition in life is the more dangerous because of the more abundant temptations to which it exposes them idolatry fornication lasciviousness drunkenness revellings inordinate affection are by the apostle likewise classed with theft and murder and with what we hold in still even greater abomination and concerning them all is pronounced alike that quote, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of god End quote. galatians five verses nineteen to twenty one and colossians three verses five to nine in truth the instances which we have lately specified of the loose system of these nominal christians betrays a fatal absence of the principle which is the very foundation of all religion their slight notions of the guilt and evil of sin discover an utter want of all suitable reverence for the divine majesty this principle is justly termed in scripture quote, the beginning of wisdom end quote. and there is perhaps no one quality which is so much the studious endeavour of the sacred writers to impress upon the human heart footnote job twenty eight verse twenty eight psalm one hundred eleven verse ten proverbs one verse seven and proverbs nine verse ten End footnote. sin is considered in scripture as rebellion against the sovereignty of god and every different act of it equally violates his law and if persevered in disclaims his supremacy to the inconsiderate and the gay this doctrine may seem harsh while vainly fluttering in the sunshine of worldly prosperity they lull themselves into a fond security Quote, but the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up End quote. 
Quote, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness end quote second peter three verses ten and eleven we are but an atom in the universe worlds upon worlds surround us all probably full of intelligent creatures to whom now or hereafter we may be a spectacle and afford an example of the divine procedure who then shall take upon him to pronounce what might be the issue if sin were suffered to pass unpunished in one corner of this universal empire who shall say what confusion might be the consequence what disorder it might spread through the creation of god be this however as it may the language of scripture is clear and decisive quote, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the people that forget god End quote. it should be carefully observed too that these awful denunciations of the future punishment of sin derive additional weight from this consideration that they are represented not merely as a judicial sentence which without violence to the settled order of things might be remitted through the mere mercy of our almighty governor but as arising out of the established course of nature as happening in the way of natural consequence just as a cause is necessarily connected with its effect as resulting from certain connections and relations which rendered them suitable and becoming it is stated that the kingdom of god and the kingdom of satan are both set up in the world and that to one or the other of these we must belong quote, the righteous have passed from death unto life end quote. Quote, they are delivered from the power of darkness and are translated into the kingdom of god's dear son end quote. Colossians 1 verse 13. They are become, quote, the children and the subjects of God, end quote. While on earth they love his day, his service, his people, they, quote, speak good of his name, end quote. They abound in his works. Even here they are in some degree possessed of his image. By and by it shall be perfected. They shall awake up after his likeness, and being, quote, heirs of eternal life, end quote, they shall receive, quote, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, end quote. Of sinners, on the other hand, it is declared that, quote, they are of the father the devil, end quote. While on earth they are styled, quote, his children, his servants, end quote. They are said, quote, to do his works, end quote, quote to hold of his side, end quote to be, quote, subjects of his kingdom, end quote. At length, quote, they shall partake his portion, end quote, when the merciful Saviour shall be changed into an avenging judge, and shall pronounce that dreadful sentence, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Is it possible that these declarations should not strike terror, or at least excite serious and fearful apprehension in the lightest and most inconsiderate mind? But the imaginations of men are fatally prone to suggest to them fallacious hopes in the very face of these positive declarations. Quote, we cannot persuade ourselves that God will in fact prove so severe. End quote. It was the very delusion to which our first parents listened. Quote, Ye shall not surely die. End quote. Let me ask these rash men, who are thus disposed to trifle with their immortal interests, had they lived in the antediluvian world, would they have conceived it possible that God would then execute his predicted threatening? Yet the event took place at the appointed time. The flood came and swept them all away. And this awful instance of the anger of God against sin is related in the inspired writings for our instruction. Still more to rouse us to attention, the record is impressed in indelible characters on the solid substance of the very globe we inhabit, which thus in every country upon earth furnishes practical attestations to the truth of the sacred writings, and to the actual accomplishment of their awful predictions. For myself I must declare that I never can read without awe the passage in which our Saviour is speaking of the state of the world at the time of this memorable event. 
the wickedness of men is represented to have been great and prevalent yet not as we are ready to conceive such as to interrupt the course and shake the very frame of society the general face of things was perhaps not very different from that which is exhibited in many of the european nations it was a selfish a luxurious an irreligious and an inconsiderate world they were called but they would not hearken they were warned but they would not believe Quote, they did eat they drank they married wives they were given in marriage End quote. such is the account of one of the evangelists in that of another it is stated nearly in the same words quote, they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage and knew not until the flood came and swept them all away End quote. again we see throughout in the system which we have been describing a most inadequate conception of the difficulty of becoming true christians and an utter forgetfulness of its being the great business of life to secure our admission into heaven and to prepare our hearts for its service and enjoyments the general notion appears to be that if born in a country of which christianity is the established religion we are born christians we do not therefore look out for positive evidence of our really being of that number but putting the onus probandi if it may be so expressed on the wrong side we conceive ourselves such of course except our title be disproved by positive evidence to the contrary and we are so slow in giving ear to what conscience urges to us on this side so dexterous in justifying what is clearly wrong in palliating what we cannot justify in magnifying the merit of what is fairly commendable in flattering ourselves that our habits of vice are only occasional acts and in multiplying our single acts into habits of virtue that we must be bad indeed to be compelled to give a verdict against ourselves besides having no suspicion of our state we do not set ourselves in earnest to the work of self-examination but only receive in a confused and hasty way some occasional notices of our danger when sickness or the loss of a friend or the recent commission of some act of vice of greater size than ordinary has awakened in our consciences a more than usual degree of sensibility thus by the generality it is altogether forgotten that the christian has a great work to execute that of forming himself after the pattern of his lord and master through the operation of the holy spirit of god which is promised to our fervent prayers and diligent endeavours unconscious of the obstacles which impede and of the enemies which resist their advancement they are naturally forgetful also of the ample provision which is in store for enabling them to surmount the one and to conquer the other the scriptural representations of the state of the christian on earth by the images of quote, a race end quote, and quote, a warfare end quote, of its being necessary to rid himself of every encumbrance which might retard him on the one and to furnish himself with the whole armour of god for being victorious in the other are so far as these nominal christians are concerned figures of no propriety or meaning as little as was formerly shown have they in corresponding with the scripture descriptions of the feelings and language of real christians any idea of acquiring a relish while on earth for the worship and service of heaven if the truth must be told their notion is rather a confused idea of future gratification in heaven in return for having put a force upon their inclinations and endured so much religion while on earth but all this is only nominal christianity which exhibits a more inadequate image of her real excellencies than the cold copyings by some insipid pencil convey of the force and grace of nature or of raphael in the language of scripture christianity is not a geographical but a moral term it is not the being a native of a christian country it is a condition a state the possession of a peculiar nature with the qualities and properties which belong to it further than this it is a state into which we are not born but into which we must be translated a nature which we do not inherit but into which we are to be created anew 
to the undeserved grace of god which is promised on our use of the appointed means we must be indebted for the attainment of this nature and to acquire and make sure of it is that great quote, work of salvation end quote, which we are commanded to quote, work out with fear and trembling end quote. we are everywhere reminded that this is a matter of labor and difficulty requiring continual watchfulness and unceasing effort and unwearied patience even to the very last towards the close of a long life consumed in active service or in cheerful suffering we find st paul himself declaring that he conceived bodily self-denial and mental discipline to be indispensably necessary to his very safety christians who are really worthy of the name are represented as being quote, made meet for the inheritance of the saints in light end quote. as quote, waiting for the coming of our lord jesus christ end quote as quote, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of god end quote. it is stated as being enough to make them happy that quote, christ should receive them to himself end quote. and the songs of the blessed spirits in heaven are described to be the same as those in which the servants of god on earth pour forth their gratitude and adoration conscious therefore of the indispensable necessity and of the arduous nature of the service in which he is engaged the true christian sets himself to the work with vigour and prosecutes it with diligence his motto is that of the painter quote, nullus dies sine linea end quote. fled as it were from a country in which the plague is raging he thinks it not enough just to pass the boundary line but would put out of doubt his escape beyond the limbs of infection prepared to meet with difficulties he is not discouraged when they occur warned of his numerous adversaries he is not alarmed on their approach or unprovided for encountering them he knows that the beginnings of every new course may be expected to be rough and painful but he is assured that the paths on which he is entering will ere long seem smoother and become indeed quote, paths of pleasantness and peace end quote. now of the state of such a one as the expressions of pilgrim and stranger are a lively description and all the other figures and images by which christians are represented in scripture have in this case a determinate meaning and a just application there is indeed none by which the christian state on earth is in the word of god more frequently imaged or more happily illustrated than by that of a journey and it may not be amiss to pause for a while in order to survey it under that resemblance the christian is travelling on business through a strange country in which he is commanded to execute his work with diligence and pursue his course homeward with alacrity the fruits which he sees by the wayside he gathers with caution he drinks of the streams with moderation he is thankful when the sun shines and his way is pleasant but if it be rough and rainy he cares not much he is but a traveller he is prepared for vicissitudes he knows that he must expect to meet with them in the stormy and uncertain climate of this world but he is travelling to quote, a better country end quote, a country of unclouded light and undisturbed serenity he finds also by experience that when he has had the least of external comforts he has always been least disposed to loiter and if for the time it be a little disagreeable he can solace himself with the idea of his being thereby forwarded in his course in a less unfavourable season he looks round him with an eye of observation he admires what is beautiful he examines what is curious he receives with complacency the refreshments which are set before him and enjoys them with thankfulness nor does he churlishly refuse to associate with the inhabitants of the country through which he is passing nor so far as he may to speak their language and adopt their fashions but he neither suffers pleasure nor curiosity nor society to take up too much of his time and is still intent on transacting the business which he has to execute and on prosecuting the journey which he is ordered to pursue 
he knows also that to the very end of life his journey will be through a country in which he has many enemies that his way is beset with snares that temptations throng around him to seduce him from his course or check his advancement in it that the very air disposes to drowsiness and therefore to the very last it will be requisite for him to be circumspect and collected often therefore he examines whereabouts he is how he has got forward and whether or not he is travelling in the right direction sometimes he seems to himself to make considerable progress sometimes he advances but slowly too often he finds reason to fear that he has fallen backward in his course now he is cheered with hope and gladdened by success now he is disquieted with doubts and damped by disappointments thus while in nominal christians religion is a dull uniform thing and they have no conception of the desires and disappointments the hopes and fears the joys and sorrows which it is calculated to bring into exercise in the true christian all is life and motion and his great work calls forth alternately the various passions of the soul let it not therefore be imagined that his is a state of unenlivened toil and hardship his very labours are quote, the labours of love end quote. if quote, he has need of patience end quote, it is quote, the patience of hope end quote. and he is cheered in his work by the constant assurance of present support and of final victory let it not be forgotten that this is the very idea given us of happiness by one of the ablest examiners of the human mind quote, a constant employment for a desired end with the consciousness of continual progress end quote. so true is the scripture declaration that quote, godliness has the promise of the life that now is as well as that of which is to come end quote. our review of the character of the bulk of nominal christians has exhibited abundant proofs of their allowed defectiveness in that great constituent of the true christian character the love of god many instances in proof of this assertion have been incidentally pointed out and the charge is in itself so obvious that it were superfluous to spend much time in endeavouring to establish it put the question fairly to the test concerning the proper marks and evidences of affection there can be little dispute let the most candid investigator examine the character and conduct and language of the persons of whom we have been speaking and he will be compelled to acknowledge that so far as love towards the supreme being is in question these marks and evidences are nowhere to be met with it is in itself a decisive evidence of a contrary feeling in those nominal christians that they find no pleasure in the service and worship of god their devotional acts resemble less the free-will offerings of a grateful heart than that constrained and reluctant homage which is extracted by some hard master from his oppressed dependents and paid with cold sullenness and slavish apprehension it was the very charge brought by god against his ungrateful people of old that while they called him sovereign and father they withheld from him the regards which severally belonged to those respected and endearing appellations thus we likewise think it enough to offer to the most excellent and amiable of beings to our supreme and unwearied benefactor a dull artificial heartless gratitude of which we should be ashamed in the case of a fellow-creature who had ever so small a claim on our regard and thankfulness it may be of infinite use to establish in our minds a strong and habitual sense of that first and great commandment quote, thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart and with all thy mind and with all thy soul and with all thy strength End quote this passion operative and vigorous in its very nature like a master spring would put and maintain in action all the complicated movements of the human soul soon also would it terminate many practical questions concerning the allowableness of certain compliances questions which with other similar difficulties are often only the cold offspring of a spirit of reluctant submission and cannot stand and cannot stand the encounter of this trying principle 
if for example it were disputed whether or not the law of god were so strict as had been stated in condemning the slightest infraction of its precepts yet when from the precise demands of justice the appeal should be made to the more generous principle of love there would be at once an end of the discussion fear will deter from acknowledged crimes and self-interest will bribe to laborious services but it is the peculiar glory and the very characteristic of this more generous passion to show itself in ten thousand little and undefinable acts of sedulous attention which love alone can pay and of which when paid love alone can estimate the value love outruns the deductions of reasoning it scorns the refuge of casuistry it requires not the slow process of laborious and undeniable proof that an action would be injurious and offensive or another beneficial or gratifying to the object of affection the least hint the slightest surmise is sufficient to make it start from the former and fly with eagerness to the latter i am well aware that i am now about to tread on very tender ground but it would be an improper deference to the opinions and manners of the age altogether to avoid it there has been much argument concerning the lawfulness of theatrical amusements footnote it is almost unnecessary to remark that the word is to be understood in a large sense as including the opera etc End footnote. let it be sufficient to remark that the controversy would be short indeed if the question were to be tried by this criterion of love to the supreme being if there were anything of that sensibility for the honour of god and of that zeal in his service which we show in behalf of our earthly friends or of our political connections should we seek our pleasure in that place which the debauchee inflamed with wine or bent on the gratification of other licentious appetites finds most congenial to his state and temper of mind in that place from the neighbourhood of which how justly termed a school of morals might hence alone be inferred decorum and modesty and regularity retire while riot and lewdness are invited to the spot and invariably select it for their chosen residence where the sacred name of god is often profaned where sentiments are often heard with delight and motions and gestures often applauded which would not be tolerated in private company but which may far exceed the utmost license allowed in the social circle without at all transgressing the large bounds of theatrical decorum where when moral principles are inculcated they are not such as a christian ought to cherish in his bosom but such as it might be daily his endeavour to extirpate not those which scripture warrants but those which it condemns as false and spurious being founded in pride and ambition and the overvaluation of human favour where surely if a christian should trust himself at all it would be requisite for him to prepare himself with a double portion of watchfulness and seriousness of mind instead of selecting it as the place in which he may throw off his guard and unbend without danger the justness of this last remark and the general tendency of theatrical amusements is attested by the same well-instructed master in the science of human life to whom we had before occasion to refer by him they are recommended as the most efficacious expedient for relaxing among any people that quote, preciseness and austerity of morals end quote, to use his own phrase which under the name of holiness it is the business of scripture to inculcate and enforce nor is this position merely theoretical the experiment was tried and tried successfully in a city upon the continent in which it was wished to corrupt the simple morality of purer times footnote geneva end footnote it is worthy of remark that the playhouses have multiplied extremely in paris since the revolution and that last winter there were twenty open every night and all crowded it should not be left unobserved and it is seriously submitted to the consideration of those who regard the stage as a school of morals that the pieces which were best composed best acted and most warmly and generally applauded were such as abounded in touches of delicate sensibility 
the people of paris have never been imagined to be more susceptible than the generality of mankind of these emotions and this is not the particular period when the parisians have been commonly conceived most under their influence vide journal d'un voyageur neutre the author of the work expresses himself as astonished by the phenomenon and unable to account for it let us try the question by a parallel instance what judgment should we form of the warmth of that man's attachment to his sovereign who at seasons of recreation should seek his pleasures in scenes as ill-accordant with the principle of loyalty as those of which we have been speaking are with the genius of religion if for this purpose he were to select the place and frequent the amusements to which democrats and jacobins should love to resort for entertainment footnote the author is almost afraid of using the terms lest they should convey an impression of party feelings of which he wishes this book to exhibit no traces but here he means by democrats and jacobins not persons on whom party violence fastens the epitaph but persons who are really and avowedly such End footnote and in which they should find themselves so much at home as invariably to select the spot for their abiding habitation where dialogue and song and the intelligible language of gesticulation should be used to convey ideas and sentiments not perhaps palpably treasonable or directly falling within the strict precision of any legal limits but yet palpably contrary to the spirit of monarchical government which further the highest authorities had recommended as sovereign specifics for cooling the warmth and enlarging the narrowness of an excessive loyalty what opinion should we form of the delicacy of that friendship or of the fidelity of that love which in relation to their respective objects should exhibit the same contradictions in truth the hard measure if the phrase may be pardoned which as has been before remarked we give to god and the very different way in which we allow ourselves to act and speak and feel where he is concerned from that which we require or even practice in the case of our fellow-creatures is in itself the most distinctive proof that the principle of the love of god if not altogether extinct in us is at least in the lowest possible degree of languor from examining the degree in which the bulk of nominal christians are defective in the love of god if we proceed to inquire concerning the strength of their love toward their fellow-creatures the writer is well aware of its being generally held that here at least they may rather challenge praise than submit to censure and the many beneficent institutions in which this country abounds probably above every other whether in ancient or modern times may be perhaps appealed to in proof of the opinion much of what might have been otherwise urged in the discussion of this topic has been anticipated in the inquiry into the grounds of the extravagant estimation assigned to the amiable tempers and useful lives when unconnected with religious principle what was then stated may serve in many cases to lower in the present instance the loftiness of the pretensions of these nominal christians and we shall hereafter have occasion to mention another consideration of which the effect must be still further to reduce their claims meanwhile let it suffice to remark that we must not rest satisfied with merely superficial appearances if we would form a fair estimate of the degree of purity and vigour in which the principle of goodwill towards men warms the bosom of the generality of professed christians in the higher and more opulent classes in this country in a highly polished state of society for instance we do not expect to find moroseness and in an age of great profusion though we may reflect with pleasure on those numerous charitable institutions which are justly the honour of great britain we are not too hastily to infer a strong principle of internal benevolence from liberal contributions to the relief of indigence and misery when these contributions indeed are equally abundant in frugal times or from individuals personally economical the source from which they originate becomes less questionable 
but a vigorous principle of philanthropy must not be at once conceded on the ground of liberal benefactions to the poor in the case of one who by his liberality in this respect is curtailed in no necessary is abridged of no luxury is put to no trouble either of thought or of action who not to impute a desire of being praised for his benevolence is injured in no man's estimation in whom also familiarity with large sums has produced that freedom in the expenditure of money which thereby affording a fresh illustration of the justice of the old proverb quote, familiarity breeds contempt end quote. it never fails to operate except in minds under the influence of a strong principle of avarice our conclusion perhaps would be less favourable but not less fair if we were to try the characters in question by those sure tests which are stated by the apostle to be less ambiguous marks of a real spirit of philanthropy the strength of every passion is to be estimated by its victory over passions of an opposite nature what judgment then shall we form of the force of the benevolence of the age when measured by this standard how does it stand the shock when it comes into encounter with our pride our vanity our self-love our self-interest our love of ease or of pleasure with our ambition with our desire of worldly estimation does it make us self-denying that we may be liberal in relieving others does it make us persevere in doing good in spite of ingratitude and only pity the ignorance or prejudice or malice which misrepresents our conduct or misconstrues our motives does it make us forbear from what we conceive may probably prove the occasion of harm to a fellow-creature though the harm should not seem naturally or even fairly to flow from our conduct but to be the result only of his own obstinacy or weakness are we slow to believe anything to our neighbour's disadvantage and when we cannot but credit it are we disposed rather to cover and as far as we justly can to palliate than to divulge or aggravate it suppose an opportunity to occur of performing a kindness to one who from pride or vanity should be loath to receive or to be known to receive a favour from us should we honestly endeavour so far as we could with truth to lessen in his own mind and in that of others the merit of our good offices and by so doing dispose him to receive them with diminished reluctance and a less painful weight of obligation this end however must be accomplished if it is to be accomplished at all by a simple and fair explanation of the circumstances which may render the action in no wise inconvenient to ourselves though highly beneficial to another not by speeches of affected disparagement which we might easily foresee and in fact do foresee must produce the contrary effect can we from motives of kindness incur or risk the charge of being deficient in spirit in penetration or in foresight do we tell another of his faults when the communication though probably beneficial to him cannot be made without embarrassment or pain to ourselves and may probably lessen his regard for our person or his opinion of our judgment can we stifle a repartee which would wound another though the utterance of it would gratify our vanity and the suppression of it may disparage our character for wit if any one advance a mistaken proposition in an instance wherein the error may be mischievous to him can we to the prejudice perhaps of our credit for discernment forbear to contradict him in public if it be probable that in so doing by piquing his pride we might only harden him in his error and can we reserve our counsel for some more favourable season the quote, molia tempora fandi end quote, when it might be communicated without offence if we have recommended to any one a particular line of conduct or have pointed out the more probable mischiefs of the opposite course and if our admonitions have been neglected are we really hurt when our predictions of evil are accomplished is our love superior to envy and jealousy and emulation are we acute to discern and forward to embrace any fair opportunity of promoting the interests of another if it be in a line wherein we ourselves are also moving and in which we think our progress has not been proportioned to our desert 
can we take pleasure in bringing his merits into notice and in obviating the prejudices which may have damped his efforts or in removing the obstacles which may have retarded his advancement if even to this extent we should be able to stand the scrutiny let it be further asked how in the case of our enemies do we correspond with the scripture representations of love are we meek under provocations ready to forgive and apt to forget injuries can we with sincerity quote, bless them that curse us do good to them that hate us and pray for them which despitefully use us and persecute us End quote. do we prove to the searcher of hearts a real spirit of forgiveness by our forbearing not only from avenging an injury when it is in our power but even from telling to any one how ill we have been used and that too when we are not kept silent by a consciousness that we should lose credit by divulging the circumstances and lastly can we not only be content to return our enemies good for evil for this return as has been remarked by one of the greatest uninspired authorities footnote lord bacon and footnote may be prompted by pride and repaid by self-complacency but when they are successful or unsuccessful without our having contributed to their good or ill fortune can we not only be content but cordially rejoice in their prosperity or sympathize with their distress these are but a few specimens of the characteristic marks which might be stated of a true predominant benevolence yet even these may serve to convince us how far the bulk of nominal christians fall short of the requisitions of scripture even in that particular which exhibits their character in the most favourable point of view the truth is we do not enough call to mind the exalted tone of scripture morality and are therefore apt to value ourselves on the heights to which we attain when a better acquaintance with our standard would have convinced us of our falling far short of the elevation prescribed to us it is in the very instance of the most difficult of duties lately specified the forgiveness and love of enemies that our saviour points out to our imitation the example of our supreme benefactor after stating that by being kind and courteous to those who even in the world's opinion had a title to our good offices and good will we should in vain set up a claim to christian benevolence he emphatically adds quote, be ye therefore perfect even as your father which is in heaven is perfect End quote. we must herein again resort to a topic which was lately touched on that of theatrical amusements and recommend it to their advocates to consider them in connection with the duty of which we have now been exhibiting some of the leading characters it is an undeniable fact for the truth of which we may safely appeal to every age and nation that the situation of the performers particularly of those of the female sex is remarkably unfavourable to the maintenance and growth of the religious and moral principle and of course highly dangerous to their eternal interests might it not then be fairly asked how far in all who confess the truth of this position it is consistent with the sensibility of christian benevolence merely for the entertainment of an idle hour to encourage the continuance of any of their fellow-creatures in such a way of life and to take a part in tempting any others to enter into it how far considering that by their own concession they are employing whatever they spend in this way in sustaining and advancing the cause of vice and consequently in promoting misery they are herein bestowing their share of their wealth in a manner agreeable to the intentions of their holy and benevolent benefactor how far also they are not in this instance the rather criminal from there being so many sources of innocent pleasure open to their enjoyment how far they are acting conformably to that golden principle of doing to others as we would they should do to us how far they harmonize with the spirit of the apostle's affectionate declaration that he would deny himself for his whole life the most innocent indulgence nay what might seem almost an absolute necessary rather than cause his weak fellow-christian to offend 
or lastly how far they are influenced by the solemn language of our saviour himself quote, it must needs be that offences come but woe to that man by whom the offence cometh it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were cast into the depths of the sea End quote. the present instance is perhaps another example of our taking greater concern in the temporal than in the spiritual interests of our fellow-creatures that man would be deemed and deemed justly of an inhuman temper who in these days were to seek his amusements in the combats of gladiators and prize-fighters yet christians appear conscious of no inconsistency in finding their pleasure in spectacles maintained at the risk at least if not the ruin of the eternal happiness of those who perform in them end of chapter four section five